Welcome to the Success in South Carolina podcast, where we will be hearing the untold stories of success from some of the top achievers in our home state of South Carolina. These neighbors of ours will also share their time-tested personal philosophies and solutions to inspire us, educate us, and help us find peace, joy, and love, along with a purpose, a mission, and a vision for our lives. And I'm your host, Jonathan Peoples. Our guest today is a native to the upstate of South Carolina. He's the president of Pro Electric Motor Supply, the president of MC Supply Company, and the owner of CNL Solutions Group. His personal and professional story comes with the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Even though he has gone through many tragedies and adversities, he has not let those events define him. Instead, we're getting ready to hear a great story of overcoming that will inspire us to keep pushing in the hardest of times. Welcome to the show, my new friend, Neil Campbell. Hey, Neil. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks. Thanks for the intro. Thanks for having me today. Um, Man, I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah, excited to be here. Excited to share a little bit of my story, hopefully to offer some hope to some people. But before I jump into that, I'd be amiss if I didn't wish my wonderful wife um, a happy 50th birthday today. Um, Well, great. Happy birthday. (laughs) What's your wife's name? Absolutely. Victoria. Happy birthday, Victoria. All right. Thank you. So um, I'll jump right in. So as Jonathan said, I was born and raised in the upstate of South Carolina, um, the metropolis of Williamston, um, is where, I, where I was <laughs> yeah. groomed. Um, now, I come from, a, come from a fairly normal uh, family as far as, you know, the financial situation, the structure. Uh, my dad, um, he started with PYA Monarch as a key punch operator out of school and worked himself up to uh, to CEO when he retired. Wow. Um, and I think, and I think that's, I'm definitely sure that's where my work ethic come from. I got to see, I had a front row seat to watch him um, from that standpoint. My mom was a uh, psychology major. She worked with special needs, kids, adults, um, several different homes. And then when she finished her career, she was with hospice of uh, the upstate you know, and she retired as vice president. And I have a, uh, also have a brother. Um, that lives in upstate still. So, and I said, initially, I had a fairly normal family life. um, But inside of that normal family life, I had some abnormalities happen to me that kind of, kind of propelled me down a path. So as best I can recall, around five years old, I was abused, um, not by anybody in my immediate household, was a family member. Um, and because of that, I can remember back, like pre it happening, I have no memories, nothing. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of it's kind of dark. Um, but growing up, you know, I had all these things. My parents, I was a spoiled child. Me and my brother yeah. both were very spoiled. Never wanted for anything. Um, we had everything that we wanted. Um, so from that standpoint, I was spoiled. But even with all those things, um, I always felt different. You know, and going through school, you know, I never had a problem making friends, very socially um, engaged, active. Yeah. But even in the largest of groups, I felt alone. Um, And I felt alone because I knew what had happened to me, but nobody else did. I just kind of kept it to myself. Yeah. Um, Never exposed that, just kind of bottled it up. And that really created kind of a vacuum 
um, if you will, in my soul. And, it, you know, I struggled to show any kind of emotion. I could show happy. I could show mad. Anything yeah. in the middle of that um, spectrum was difficult for me. Yeah. And I just didn't, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to interpret feelings. I didn't know how to reciprocate. Yeah. Cause you had just, something awful happen to you and you've kind of built a wall around yourself. Right. Right. Because you so, haven't shared then, it with anybody. I mean, it's your earliest memory. I can't even imagine. That, yep. So you kind of rolled through that. Um, somehow, some way, um, I, I'll back up. I was very competitive, right? So I, we played sports. I played every sport there was to play. Yeah. Um, uh, kind of landed with golf, uh, me and my brother both. Um, and I've always been, I'm still hyper competitive. And anything that I do, I'm hyper competitive. Um, but golf was my love. Uh, somehow, some way, I got a golf scholarship to Newberry College. Um, that didn't last long. We'll get into that a little bit later. But yeah. and that kind of became the pattern. I just I learned how to overcome no matter, you know, kind of no matter what. I would get to I would get to a place where things got rough and I would find a way, you know, to push through. At that time, as a young person, I'm doing the things that I thought I was supposed to do, right? Mm, yeah. I'm Some kind of coping mechanism. Yep. Yeah, so I you know, I graduate high school, I'm going to college, I'm doing the things that was defined by my parents that I should do, um, not necessarily doing the things that I want to do, but I would find a way to cope and get through those. Um, all, all the while, I'm still participating in stuff to slowly sapping, you know, my soul, who I am out of me when I say that. And it doesn't matter. I, was, I come from a long line of people who struggle with addiction. Um, mm. Still, some of them to this day do. Um, but it didn't matter what it was. It didn't matter if it was alcohol. It didn't matter if it was drugs. It didn't matter if it was gambling, anything to take me out of the, or to remove the pain, remove the, you know, me feeling alone and let me, um, kind of fit in, if you will, and feel comfortable. I would do it, you know, and ultimately I'm doing it for that attention, that gratification, that whatever comes with that. That's what I'm doing. And I'm slowly creating this snowball. Um, And as long as I was under my parents' umbrella, you know, in school, it was okay. But, you know, I was very, very quickly about to be exposed um, when I got out of adulthood and I had to make decisions on my own. Mm. Um, So the the golf scholarship, I made it one semester. My GPA was a 0.5. Wow. And. You know, it wasn't a full scholarship. They really don't give those in golf. And my dad said, all right, that's it. You're yeah. coming home. So that was over. And then I meandered um, trying to figure out what it is I wanted to go do, you know. and But everything that I touched now was turning to crap. You mm. know, it's, you know, I, okay, I'm going to go work at a golf course because I love golf. Well, that didn't work out because I wouldn't show up for work. Um, yeah. In this time, um, I met. So when I met Victoria, well, I didn't meet Victoria. Victoria and I started dating when I was 20 years old. And, you know, I can say it today. She, through her presence over that period of time, um, just her being present is probably why I'm able to sit here and have this conversation with you. Without her, I mm. probably don't make it because she she's taught me so much, but she held me accountable. Mm. Um she held me accountable to do, you know, the things that I was supposed to do. So 
I went back to school. Um, now I wasn't perfect. I wasn't, I, you know, I would take these periods of abstinences or abstinence from, you know, alcohol or drugs or whatever. Um, and the periods would yeah. get longer, but then I would always go back. And when I went back, mm. it was worse than ever. So I somehow graduated. I graduated high school in 1991. Um, and I finally graduated college in 2000. Most people that, you know, spend nine years, they're a doctor. And I just had a regular BS, yeah. a four-year degree BS in business um, from Southern Wesley. And, but, you know, I, I didn't quit. I made it. I didn't make it because I, I didn't make it because I wanted to. I made it because I felt like I had to. And, yeah. and um, so I graduated in 2097. We had had our son. And really, I'll, I'll go back kind of jumping around. But in 97, that's when things started to change because now I was responsible for something other than me, right? Mm, yeah. um, I got a child. I, I know right from wrong. I've tried to stop. I couldn't. But I knew principles of just being a good person meant that if I continue to do what I'm doing, the chances are my son's probably going to want to go do the things that I'm doing. And I damn sure don't want that to be happening. Right. So, you know, I was trying at that point, I'd started to try um, and it, I would go good for a while and then it would go bad. So graduated college, went to work um, in manufacturing management for a manufacturer in Abbeville. Um, and I was, I was good at it. Right. I was I mean, in four years, I'm promoted. Everything's going what I thought was OK. And then I self-destruct again. Mm. Um, and. I find myself, and th and this is really the beginning of the end of that lifestyle for me, is that that workplace was. I learned some of the most valuable lessons of how to manage and how to lead. I still use them to this day, um, but I also learned. I picked up on some very bad bad habits from a standpoint of the the motto in the management group was work hard, play hard. Mm. Um, so, you know, we would show up hungover, just trying to survive. Yeah. That would lead to other things. I got promoted. And for me, then a promotion was probably the worst thing because it was all wrapped in my ego. Mm. You know, I wanted people to say, oh, look at Neil. He's doing great. Deep down inside, I'm dying. Right. Yeah. So this was around 2004 is when the promotion happened. Um, and then... March of that year, after about a two-day bender with some friends, um, I overdosed. And I can remember clearly telling a guy with me, tell my wife and my kids, and I'm sorry, and I love them. But mm -hmm. I wasn't getting out of this one. I wasn't going to make it. And I was convinced that that was the end. Mm -hmm. um, and there's no, there's no explanation other than God, right? That's the only mm -hmm. way that I'm still sitting here is that it wasn't my time. Um, and I remember sitting in the hospital and my mom and Victoria walked up and the first thing I told them was, Hey, I met Jesus today and coming from somebody that's been on a two day bender, they're looking at me like I'm crazy, but it was, yeah. it was real. It was a, it was a spiritual awakening that I'll never forget. Um, started, it really started a path to changing my life, um, that day because now, um, I felt a love and I felt a peace and I felt a comfort that I'd never felt before um, because I didn't allow myself to feel feelings. Right. Mm. And 
but that's not the end of the end of the line for that. I still just I struggled, right? Even sure, it's like when I quit doing um, when I quit drinking or I quit doing drugs or I quit doing all these things to try and make myself feel not feel right and just cope. When I quit doing those is when I really started experiencing problems. You know, I heard somebody say one time, it's when I quit doing all that, it's when I became an addict. Because you've you've addressed the symptom, but I haven't addressed the problem. Because the Mm. problem in all of that really was me. You know, even though I've had the things, I had things done to me, I'm still making the decision. Yeah. At the end of the day, I was making those decisions. Right. Um, And so, and I always, my uncle um, would always say, you know, I'd lose a job. And he's like, oh, you're going to be fine. You always land on your feet. And that's true. I never quit. I never was a quitter. Um, Yeah. But I kept making the same mistakes over and over and over. What I call mistakes, but what I come to realize is, if you continue to make the same mistake over and over and over again, really path one time, it's not a mistake. It's a decision, right? Mm, I'm just making yeah. a decision um, to continue. And it's, I was very good at associating with a direction that a company I worked for went. Um, I was very good at kind of falling in line and I could rally to people. I always got along well with people, um, you know, but, for some reason, I would self-sabotage. You know, I'd start questioning leadership's direction. I would, you yeah. know, my boss, I couldn't keep my mouth shut. My boss asked me my opinion. I'm going to tell it to you. Well, yeah. that don't always go over so well, you know? Yeah. So some of those, mm-hmm. some of the job losses were things I directly did. Some of them was just, you know, it wasn't a fit. I left, I left on my own terms sometimes. Sometimes I left under their terms. Yeah. But and it's really, I mean, and this went on for a long time. We're talking 2015, 16 now. Um, and probably the best, best and I say this um, to anybody, I went to work with Michelin and it's the greatest company I've ever worked for. Yeah. They truly, they truly care about people. Um, you know, they truly, they grow you. So I went, when I went to work there, we moved to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I was managing their mixing facility. Um, and things were going pretty well in my life at that point. Um, but once I got away from that, my core foundation that we're down there, we have four children. Um, I'm away. We have no help. Uh, first time Victoria hadn't worked, right. She'd always worked and she was stay at home mom. And we're trying to make this thing work. But I hope once I lost that support mechanism that I had back in the upstate of South Carolina, then I slowly, slowly but surely become not grounded anymore. Now this thing becomes mm-hmm. about Neil's ego. Yeah. Right. I was there a year and I'm promoted, um, you know, and it wasn't about it was about me. It wasn't about the company. That's where yeah. I'd gotten to. Um, yeah. So as we moved back to South Carolina with Michelin. I took over a project manager role. That just, it was not my cup of tea. I'm, I'm not cut out for that stuff. Um, not really. I'm not good with details. <laughs> and that's not yeah, a good that's thing not to helpful. say. But I'm, I'm, 
I can dig in them today and understand where it needs to be. And I got good people around me that, that mm. take care of that stuff. But as a project manager, it's what my cup of tea. So that job ended, um, I was asked to leave Michelin in 2015, December, 2015. And at that point I'm forced to look at myself in the mirror. I, I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not doing all these things that I used to do anymore, but I'm still getting the same crappy results in my life um, that I had been getting. So what, you know, what's the common denominator? Cause uh, my whole life I blamed everybody else, mm. you know? And as I start going down the checklist of trying to figure out, you know, Hey, what's the common denominator in all these failures? Well, you know what knucklehead It's you, it's me, you know? And so at that point you make a decision, you know, you look in your look in the mirror and you say, all right, you know, what the hell's going on with you? Why? And that's when I said earlier that, I really became an addict when I quit putting drugs in my body or alcohol in my body. I still have the same behaviors. You can have those behaviors and it's still going to impact your life the same way, whether mm. you're using or you're not. Yeah. Um, so I was really forced to take a long, hard look. Um, and one of the things that I realized is <clears throat> I was just living like a life of quiet desperation, you know, I'm just mundane. Um, I get bored easy and I've, in some ways was hypocritical and it's because when my kids would ask me, Hey dad, what do I need to do? I would always say, well, Hey, let's find something you're passionate about, figure out a way to make money doing it and then go for it. But here I am doing the exact opposite. I'm just, I'm laying in this comfort zone and, and I just I keep going back to the same job. I'm going back to a manufacturing management position somewhere um, that, because it's comfortable. But I'm also not getting ahead. Right. So mm -hmm. that quiet desperation is financially you're struggling. You know, you're really just making ends meet um, way back in in the early years. I always was a dreamer. I still am. Um, I'm, I've been told several times in year in reviews that I'm overly optimistic, mm -hmm. um, but I always believe that it can happen, right? Whatever the target is, I believe I can achieve it. Mm -hmm. But he, and right after school, I, always, I had this dream in my belly. I was going to own my own business. I was going to do something. Yeah. Um, I had opportunity one time and I just, I couldn't make it happen financially. Mm -hmm. The situation we were in, um, I thought about buying a golf course. Um, and honestly, at that point in time, when with me and the guy who owned Bosco Bell at the time, he said he would go in halves with me, but I'd have to find my half of the fund. And it's probably yeah. the hardest thing, hardest I've ever worked in my life mm. is trying to find that. And then we sat down with an investor and he told me I was a week late and I was so sick. Um, I was a week late. He had just committed uh, any available capital he had at that point. But so that fire to own my own thing was there, mm -hmm. you know, I, I really just had to get the guts to go do it. So back to leaving, so I left Michelin um, and I went to work at JPS Composites in Anderson and they, that's the first place I've really felt comfortable. I could be me, yeah. you know, I had something in common with the people and things were going great. You know, we're, I was moving along, no issues, plants running better than it's ever run. My areas setting production records, setting financial performance records, you know, 
and then COVID comes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, during the thing there that got me was, you know, people were laid off, you know, we're laying, rotating people out, just covering orders and they cut our salary by 35%. Mm -hmm. the, those of us that are still in there working. And during that time, I just sat back and I was like, you know what? Got to be something better than this. You know, I'm allowing corporate America to determine what Neil's worth is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it just didn't sit right. So then I made my mind up at that point that I was going to go, go looking, go figure out what I was going to do. And I don't ever, I don't believe anything happens by chance. You know, there's, there's predestination um, on your life when you're born, hmm. you know, there's, you determine if you get to where you're supposed to be by actions and um, behaviors and stuff. But I believe that there's a plan out there for you. Um, mm. And mine was starting to come to fruition. I get a call from a, a recruiter and he's not asking me if I'm interested in a job. He's just asking that I know anyone. And uh, I said, well, what is it? And he said, a gentleman owns a motor shop in Greenville and he's looking for somebody to come run it. He's going to go back out and, into corporate world. He's taking a job and he just needs somebody to run it. And so I looked into who they were yeah. before I answered his question. Um, and it kind of made sense to me, you know, through all these failures that I'd had, um, the thing that I'd established relationships and I didn't necessarily damage those because I was pretty good with people. Yeah. So I'd, I'd worked at a bunch of major manufacturers in the upstate. I had pretty good relationships. Here's this service business that specializes um, in repairing, replacing um, industrial motors for a lot of the folks that I assume for a lot of the places that I'd work. So now, hmm. so I called the recruiter back. I said, you know, I think I'm interested. And yeah. in the back of my mind, I was like, if the guy is stepping away then that means that he's got to have an exit strategy, right? He's either about to retire. I didn't know what his story was at that point. So I go interview with him and he tells me he's going back to work. Um, actually for a company, a big motor manufacturer, he's going to run one of their divisions and he just needs somebody to run it. And I mm -hmm. asked him specifically in the first interview, I said, Hey, what's your exit strategy yeah. for this place? And he said, well, I don't really have one. Um, probably two to three years we'll get I'll get out and uh, I said here's the deal I said I would be interested if I had first right of refusal to buy it when you exit mm -hmm. yeah. and he said well let's, and don't put the cart before the horse so yeah, this went on for a couple of weeks I found out he wanted to hire me I took the job with that agreement that I had first right of refusal to buy yeah. and I'm off and running so I really had a unique opportunity there is the company that I eventually buy I had the opportunity to run it as if I was the owner. Um, yeah. So there's nothing hidden. There was no, when it come to um, the discovery piece of the purchase, there really wasn't anything. I had access to everything. I had access to the financial records, tax records. So mm. there's no surprises in there. The right. only surprise um, was I went to work there in August of 2020. Um, with the assumption, okay, I got two to three years to get my crap together to be in a position to buy this thing if it comes open. And then in January of 21, he stops me and says, Hey, you ready? I think I'm ready wow. to get out. 
And I come home and I, I remember telling my wife and she looks at me and the look on her face was like, oh shit, here we go again. Some, yeah. <laughs> some nonsense. What are you yeah. spewing? And I said, this is what's on the table, right? Um, so we vetted that. And you know, I talked about my dad a little bit, you know, through things that happened to me in the past and then his background being a CEO, I don't trust a lot of people, right? So I'm with him, I'm showing him the financials and I was like, hey, does it make sense? Um, more to calm Victoria's mind than anything else. And I mm-hmm. guess once he he gave it a check, then, you know, we're off and running down that yeah. path. Yeah. Um, but I still had, I had, I signed an agree, uh, intent to purchase this company um, for a pretty hefty sum of money. And I had no idea how I was going to pay for it. I yeah. just knew, I knew in my heart that it was, it was my, it was supposed to be mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow, some way I was going to make it work. I was going to make it happen. And, you know, I begged, borrowed, pleaded the first, uh, first lender I went to, we got, we didn't get through the application process good. And they're like, man, there's just not enough tangible assets. Yeah. Um, can't do it. And then, so we were having, I had to go through the SBA process and I literally printed out um, a data, out of a database, all the SBA lenders in South Carolina. And I would look them up and I would try to understand, you know, what, if you could find how many loans they're approving, that type of stuff. And I finally found one that said, Hey, I think we can make this work. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we, had the deal done we were set to close we we're going to close in december of 21 and the guy who owned it come back to me in november he called a meeting he sent me a meeting request said hey, i want to meet with you on this day and i honestly thought oh shit he's gonna fire me that's yeah. that's my that's what's in my head. I'm about to get fired again. I've been yeah. down this road before. Yeah. And he sits down. He sits down and he says, Hey, I divested the group that I was over. He, he was he went back to work to divest the the uh division he was running. Mm-hmm. That deal got done. The new the new owners come in and cut him after about mm-hmm. a month. And he's like, Hey, I got fired. Um, can we put this on hold? So, I mean, what am I going to say? It's his company, right? Right, right. So, and he says, look, nothing's going to change here. Um, We're going to go, we're going to try to build some type of empire. So we talked it out. We made an agreement. I called the bank and I said, look, we're on hold, you know, this off. And this is probably, I think it's two weeks before Thanksgiving in 21. He comes back to me the second week in December, apologizes and says, man, I was emotional. I was going off emotions. I want to sell. And I'm like, God, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, are you kidding me? Yeah. In the meantime, my brain's going, you know, is this a sign that I'm, geez, I need to just back out? What do I need yeah, to do? Yeah. So yeah, we that. pushed ahead. Yep. We pushed ahead. Um, we kicked it back off after the first year, and I finally closed uh, May 1st. Last year, we closed on both of the businesses. So we're coming up on a year. Um, so 
I guess the, the moral of all that is no matter what, man, you just got to keep pushing through, right? I mean, yeah, life doesn't the, stop. One of the things that I really uh, feel is is telling about your story is that, you know, you, you, you didn't seem to have one revelation. I think that so many people that are going through their valleys or going through addictions or, or dealing with unhealthy coping mechanisms feel like that it's going to be one aha moment and they're going to wake up tomorrow and be totally gone. Okay. Now I'm heading in the right direction. Whereas you, you talk about going through periods of no alcohol and no drugs, and then you'd relapse and you maybe it'd even be worse, uh, but you'd keep pushing through it. And you just never quit. You never quit on trying to get better and trying to shrug this stuff off and trying to move forward. Um, and and it, seems, it seems like you had multiple, like, okay, I, I realized this. I had a revelation here. I had a revelation here. I had a revelation. One of the ones that really stuck out to me was you saying, what was the common denominator? You know, uh, a good friend of mine, Walker McKay, talks about fault versus responsibility, right? The things that happened to you might not have been your fault. But guess what? Now it's your responsibility. That's right. And and That's the, all all the things that you may be blaming, maybe they weren't. Maybe they weren't. Maybe you weren't to blame. Maybe those things weren't your fault. But it was your responsibility to to make a difference, to make the change, and and to be a different person. And uh, so I love that you had that kind of aha moment. Yep, absolutely. I, you know, and I tried all the standard methods, right? Of of stopping. So I've tried tried twelve step groups. Sure. Um, I tried a hundred percent through the church. Um, and I'm not saying any of those are wrong, right? There's people, people everywhere have success doing every one of those things. It just, it sure. didn't work a hundred percent for me. Part of the reason that worked for me is I probably didn't go all in, but mm. I know I may have told you when we talked in the, briefly in the beginning, or, or maybe it was somebody else. The thing for me with the, 12 step group methodology is it's all about just not using whatever chemical that you're depending on. Right. Yeah. And I, and I, when I got, when I went into something and then it's still to this day, I talked about being hyper competitive. So if I walk in a room, yeah. if I walk in a room and we're playing poker, I'm trying to take all your money. If we walk in a room of alcoholics, anonymous, narcotics, anonymous, whatever it is, I'm going to be the greatest recovering addict in the whole room. Right. Yeah. So I'm yeah. going all in, no matter what it is, I'm going all in. Yeah. But for me, if you go in there and, and you tell me that I can come home and, you know, I can kick the dog. I can do, I can not participate around the house. I can do, I can be the biggest ass to my employees. As long as I don't put that chemical in my body, today was a successful day to me. In, in Neil's opinion, in my opinion only, and it doesn't matter to many, it matters to me. That's wrong, right? Yeah. Because I haven't gotten better. At any, the only thing I've gotten better at is just not getting high, and right. and that's that's where I struggled there. And so, I tried that; it didn't work. The the hundred yeah. percent church thing didn't work, and I think the denominator there is that a, it just further facilitated. So it let me put responsibility in my issues, and I'd pour them to somebody else. But I really mm. wasn't looking myself in the mirror, right? Yeah. Um, is when when I was for when I was at that crossroads where there's really no other direction, there's no other person, there's nobody else to blame. You know, there's nothing, no other denying it. Hey, you know what, knucklehead, it's you. Yeah, you're the problem. 
Um, yeah, I think even if you know, it doesn't matter what the great, it can be the greatest solution in the world. And like you said, there's nothing wrong with either of these solutions. But if you enter them with the wrong mindset, like if you're yeah. carrying in the mindset of, uh, I mean, I know one of the first steps in in the twelve step recovery program is to is to admitting that you're an addict, right? right? But if you're, but if what you're doing with the everybody else is to blame, well, then now you're not taking responsibility for yourself. You're just, well, I'm an addict, and that's why I'm doing all these things. Yeah, I mean, that's why that's yep. why I kick the dog. That's why I'm mean to my wife because I'm an addict. So instead of yeah. taking the responsibility to become better, you're you're taking the, something that's supposed to be good, but you're putting your burden of responsibility on that and saying, okay, well, great. Well, that's why I'm not doing this. Yep. That's right. And, and I was the master of that, right? Sure. I was, before I ever found those rooms, I was the master of that. Hmm. You know, why am I, why am I out drinking 48 beers and not, not coming home? That's just, just what we do, right? It's yeah. not my fault. It's, it's everybody else's fault. I was just being a good friend, right? Right. You know, I was abused as a kid. I have every excuse in the book. Sure. Um, but, Ultimately, it's the decisions that I was making, and that and that's why I struggled with that. And I've got some friends that that I know that I'm close to now yeah. that are in that program, um, and they're doing great. You know, multiple yeah. years of sobriety, um, life's getting better. Right. But you know, it just wasn't for me. Uh, that that part wasn't for me. Not that it was right or it was wrong, um, but ultimately, I had to find out what worked for me. Right. Well, one of the things that I'd like to like to discuss and jump into maybe as our topic for today uh, is healthy versus unhealthy coping mechanisms. And the reason I'd like to chat about this with you, Neil, because obviously you've had all kinds of different coping mechanisms that you've gone through because you've gone through a lot of different stuff in your life. You've gone through adversities. You've gone through abuse. You've gone through uh, drug you know, addictions and, and all all of it is comes down to, I don't know, stress or um what's the words that I'm looking for? It's just setbacks in your life, things, things that you don't want, you don't choose. And you're trying to escape, maybe escapism, right? What, how, how, what are the differences between healthy and unhealthy coping mechanisms? Can you chat about that? Yeah, I can. I think so for me, um, we're still learning on the fly on in a business, right? So I'm, sure. I'm dealing with different stressors, but for me, I have a distinct routine that I do most every day. Um, it's, and it kind of, I just set myself up to win, right? That's how I look at it. So the first thing I do, I get up, I go to the gym at five 30. So the hardest thing that I'm going to do all day is going to happen before the sun comes up. And really mm-hmm. I've broken I do that. And I've listened to a lot of like Jocko Willink and those guys. Mm. Um, and it's after I started, but it's really, I'm trying to break down my ego and just torture myself. So at 49 years old, I'm in there doing CrossFit um, with guys half my age, mm. um, breaking myself down. Um, really just to do, I'm the hardest thing I'm going to do all day is that. Yeah. So once I get past it, it's, you know, it's a routine. I come home, I have a routine and then I get to work and it's staying in that routine yeah. um, as best as I can. Um, you know, there's things that come up and I miss. Sometimes I just oversleep. But for the most part, at 530 in the morning, that's what I'm going to do. For me, that's that's healthy. Um, another thing that I've been blessed with is I talked about Victoria, right? She 
is she, she's very cut and dry with her. There's it's, she, it's black and white. There's no gray area. So if, if I, if I'm not doing the things that I'm supposed to do, I can count on it being told. And, you know, 99.9% of the time she's right. Right. Yeah. She's seen it long enough, been together almost 30 years total. So she's seen the best of me and the worst of me. Mm-hmm. So that part's a blessing. And I have, um, I spend time with people that are positive, right? Yeah. Whether it's my kids right now, it's my grandkid. He's the apple of my eye. Um, I'm going to say on the podcast, I actually like my grandson more than I do my kids most days. <laughs> They've I heard think that's that. a blessing so of being to... a grandchild, of being a grandfather, right. though, right? That's yeah. right. That's right. And then I have guys, there's a group of like seven of us, um, pretty tight-knit group. Um, we hold each other accountable. Um, you know, I've, when yeah. I had an issue with one of my kids and, I thought I was about to make a mistake and I called one of them and said, Hey, I'm about to do something stupid here. And he's like, ah, he talks you off the ledge. Right. Whereas yeah. the unhealthy, the unhealthy side of that is I'm not calling anybody. I'm going to act off mm. of my reflexes or what I would do. And mm. I'm going to end up in trouble somewhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's really about, for me, it's about that routine um, it's about being able to identify, am I doing something? Am I reacting with my ego or am I react or am I smashing that thing? And I'm just acting really out of care. Am I doing yeah. it out of love? Yeah. You know, and it's really just trying to keep that balance. Um, yeah. One of the things that I found, cause I've had, I've had friends and family members that have dealt with addiction. I've dealt with addiction myself. And one of the things that I, you, you just mentioned it there is if you have any kind of addictive personality, you have to, you can't fight against that. You have to figure out how to turn that to your benefit. And you talked about leaning into habits, right? Habits are just another word for addictions, but it's hopefully they're beneficial, right? That's right. So if you, if you can take your addictions and, and, and replace them with good habits that are going to be beneficial, you talked about hitting the gym every single day at 530, surrounding yourself with a good support system that you reach out to when you feel like you need to. Um, I mean, these are all good habits that, that you're creating. What are what are other good habits that you have that are good coping mechanisms or or helping you overcome this, uh, these, these devils in your life? It's another one is, you know, I never... I don't respond immediately. I actually allow myself to kind of think through. It may be it may be 30 minutes. Hey, I'll call you back. Yeah. I'll answer that in a minute. It may be a day. But I have to stay guarded in not – in the business world, I have to stay guarded in not allowing those businesses to become about me. It's not. Uh, you know, I have a goal. We have a goal. Um, it's, you know, I want to – I want to enrich my employees' lives first and foremost, you know, for the time they're with me. Um, I want to satisfy the customer and I want to leave a legacy for my kids or my grandkid. That's the goal. When it becomes about Neil wants to make all the money that he can make so he can get out, then we're in trouble. So really from a, from a professional standpoint, that's where I, when I make a decision, that's what I'm trying to make it on. Is it beneficial for, those things that I spoke of, that's not about me. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, sometimes it's, 
in a per on a personal sense, sometimes I just have to be quiet. Mm. You know, it, it, interesting conversation. So we were one of our daughters, one of our twin daughters. She graduated uh, high school early, and she goes to South Carolina. And the first year, her acclimating has been tough. Like her her academic performance is pretty good, but acclimating away from home has been tough, and everything mm. is. Everything is a disaster. So when she calls, we know, me and Victoria know that we're about to get hit with just something dramatic. Mm-hmm. So she calls last night with an issue. And Victoria, as I said, is very cut and dry. Um, but I don't respond. I just sit there. And she goes, how can you just say that well, it's, just bad. it's just bad? She'll get through it. I, was, I don't have anything else to add. If I start trying to dictate her direction, it's, you, it's probably going to be worse. Right. Um, you can't control it. So sometimes the best thing I can do is just nod my head and say, OK, and stay quiet and think through it. Right. Usually if I think through something and talk it out with somebody, I'll get to the right answer. Um, a positive answer versus if I react because those. My reactions, if I react quickly without thinking it through, are still bad. I mean, most of the time it's not the, the right, the right path. So I just have to, you know, I just have to stop yeah. think and, and then respond. Yeah. So don't respond immediately because uh, yeah. a, a, the immediate response is emotional, probably based on ego and self-centeredness. And uh, and maybe it's even colored with that, uh, the deep down rage or whatever else that you may still be, you know, you may still be dealing with uh, uh, all these years later. Um, yeah, absolutely. Something, something else that I think you, you mentioned that, that, that strikes a chord is some people that are going through these cycles where, where they're uh, maybe they're conquering one uh, one devil in their life and then they move forward and then something else appears, or maybe it's the same one that shows back up, but, or maybe it's a different one is I think that sometimes we trick ourselves into believing these Hollywood or these Disney stories that happily ever after exists, that you will enter a phase in your life where you'll never have struggles again, or you'll never have challenges. And that's, that's the goal is to, is to work real hard so that you can have the white picket fence and the American dream. And you'll never have any struggles again for the rest of your life, happily ever after. But, but I think that right now, hopefully you and I, Neil can just destroy that myth that doesn't exist because if people are putting that in their head, then when they don't, when they don't see that in fruition in their own lives, then they feel like there's something wrong with them. Whereas the, I mean, the, if people go through life saying, I, I wish, I hope that I don't have any struggles or no challenges or no stress, that's dumb to wish that because the only people that have no struggles and no challenges, no stress are people that are buried in the grave. That's it. Exactly. I talked about Jocko Willing, um, and I actually wrote this quote down today. I was driving, and he said, where is it at? Other than death, um, failure is just psychological yeah. uh, other than death. It's only psychological. And I had to think that through for a minute, but really what he's saying is exactly what you said, right? There's a finality to the death side, right? Um, failure is inevitable. If you don't yeah. fail, if you don't fail in life, you either aren't trying hard enough. Your goals aren't set high enough. Right. Um, are you just really, um, not doing anything. You're not leaving the house because yeah. the guarantee the book, that is, the book that doesn't leave any, that doesn't make any waves. Isn't going anywhere. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I thought that was interesting. When you said that it struck it up, I wrote it down earlier because there's truth in that, right? Cause it, it is psychological. You're going to feel the 
feelings that come with failing. Nobody likes to lose. Like my grandpa told me when I first started playing sports, if you like to lose, then you're a loser, you know? (laughs) Um, Right. But, but it's really not a failure. It's just a learning experience, right? Right. At the end of the day, that's all it Mm -hmm. is. Cause you're going to lose some battles. Right. And if you go through life thinking that it's all going to be winning and it's all going, and, and eventually you're going to overcome struggles and challenges and, st- and stress and not have any of those things, then you're, you are setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for failure right there because that doesn't exist. But when it happens, then you're so crushed and you, f- and it, it, it just destroys your self image. It, it makes you feel like there's something wrong with you instead of saying, okay, there's something like you said, I'm supposed to learn something from this. What? If if you can look at every challenge, every setback, every adversity in your life as some, I love Willie Jolly wrote a book. Uh, every setback is a setup for a comeback or something like that. It's it, that's the truth. If that's how we look at life as, hey, there's something that happened. Okay, it sucks. That's honest. But what am I supposed to learn from this? It's supposed to help propel me to the next level. I think that that helps people if they can understand that life happens, stress happens challenges happen, struggles happen, then we can plan in advance and say, how do I cope? What do I do? What are the coping mechanisms? When that next thing happens, what am I going to do? Instead of saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm over this. I'm, I've beat drug addiction. I beat whatever it is and I'm good. Instead of saying, well, okay, when this next thing happens, what am I going to, am I going to reach for the needle? Am I going to reach for the, the, whatever, am I going to reach for the coke? What, or am I, how am I going to handle it? Cause the next thing is going to happen. I guarantee it. That is guaranteed for sure. It's going to happen. And I, this is going to sound all, I kind of welcome some of that stuff. Right. And I think I was talking about preparing myself to win. And and that's the piece that going to the gym in the morning. Yeah. I fell in there because I'm so competitive. I'm trying to beat these guys that are younger than me and I'm pissed when I don't. Yeah, but this that it. little stuff there, that little stuff there, that it helps. It, whether we see it or we don't, it helps because I I get used to having a target, missing the target. All right, so what do I? You can either quit, or you can work harder. And whether that's right. it's in the gym, whether it's in your personal life, whether it's in the workforce, really, that's what it comes down to. Right. Is you're going to get hit in the face, um, you're going to lose, you're going to be perceived to fail you really haven't failed you just hit an obstacle then how are you going to react yeah. because if you i'm trying to remember how i heard this too and it was awesome see whatever you're going through um is is planned that 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 direction is planned because you're trying to become that person you were created to become hmm. um the only thing that deters you from achieving that is if you quit right, right. if you quit you don't get there, but across that path, there's, there's peaks and valleys. As long as you keep pushing forward, you'll get to that destination. Now, nine times out of 10, that destination, you ain't going to get there as fast as you wanted to get there. Sure. You know, you know, my dream to own a business was formed 30 years ago. Yeah. Success never happens as quick as we want it to. And it's never as pretty as we want it. And then it's never, it's never what we thought it was going to be when we get there either. So it's one of the reasons yeah. why, it, again, this goes back to realizing that even the definition of success, the de- your definition may change over time, but it's got to be a journey. It cannot be a destination because you're if you make success in any area of your life, a destination, as soon as you get there, okay, now what? That's right. Now what? That's where the, that's where the, the, 
for me in the past, you know, I'd have my eye on a promotion and once I got it, then I'm now I'm bored. Right. You know, now I'm now yeah. I'm not content. And I hear people say, I'll be happy when I'm asking. married or I'll be happy when I have kids or I'll be happy when I retire. If you if it's if you're waiting, if you're delaying happiness, whatever it is for any of those destinations, you just can't you'll never get it. It's it, it will elude you. You have to find happiness in the moment. You have to find success in the moment and and embrace this journey of life. This this great this great struggle, this amazing blessing of this struggle, right? The, the, right. the struggle, right. you go to the gym at five 30 in the morning, it's a struggle, but you, you, you go the rest of the day. You, your muscles are bigger. Your muscles are stronger because of that struggle. So that Absolutely. is the purpose. That's the purpose of these struggles, right? A hundred percent. And you know, for me too, you, there's, you never know when you're going to get that opportunity to share, um, to share something of importance. Right. So right. this little group that I have that we work out with, I'm a part of it. It keeps growing. Um, and there was a young, there's a young lady in our group that I know her story because I stalked her Facebook page one day and she had gone through some of the similar things that I had. Hmm. Um, so she came in as one day last week, she came in and I could tell she looked down and, you know, she said, Hey, um, I said, are you okay? And she said, nah, just, you know, rough night. I got a lot on my mind, this, that, and the other. And I told her, I said, look, I said, I stalked your page. So I know what you're going through. I said, it's temporary. And, and I just briefly told her what had happened to me when I was younger. I said, Hey, mm. I was abused too. Right. I said, there comes a point to where it's, it never totally goes away that thought, but it becomes just a fleeting thought. It's gone. It's in and it's out. Right. Yeah. And she just looked at me and then through the day I sent her, through uh, Messenger, I sent her a couple of videos to watch, just motivational stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and just being able to pour back into somebody, you know, that makes it all worthwhile at the right. end of the day. Yeah. So, well, listen, as we're, as we're coming upon our, our end here, Neil, I'd love to chat about your companies. Um, tell us a little bit about CNL Solutions, MC Supply Company, Pro Electric Motor Company. What do you guys do and uh, how can people find you guys? Okay, so CNL Solutions Group is just parent company. Um, I had to create that entity to purchase and use the name and rights of Pro Electric Motor and MC Supply. They were already there, so part of the purchase agreement was creating that. So sure. um, it's just a holding company. It's just my parent company. Uh, Pro Electric Motor Service, it's, a, um, it's an industrial motor, gearbox, pump, repair um, shop, if you will. So we any motor pump gearbox it really anything that's used in large manufacturing locations so we service most of the big ones in the upstate of south carolina yeah. um you know we, we do the repairs in-house um we also are the licensed distributor for all the big brands uh, say about or motor any of those that we can get at discounted pricing so um we did, we'll do replacements too. So if you're over a certain number of, or a certain percentage of the cost of a new one, we can get it replaced for you. Um, we do some field service work, um, some infrared scans. Um, we come out and check um, on motors on site, that type of stuff. We're limited currently in what we're physically able to do work-wise. I, I really don't have a mobile um, yeah. shop. That's something that's coming. Um, so that's pro electric to, motor, correct? That's pro electric motor, yes, sir. Okay. Uh, MC Supply Company is a distribution business. 
So small gear motors, it's geared toward the same um, customer base. So industrial locations, um, mm -hmm. but these are what they call fractional horsepower gear motors. They're running conveyor belts. They're running um, cooling units, that type of stuff is smaller. It's, it's getting the sector of the business where if a motor fails, it doesn't make sense to repair it from a cost. It just, it's what we call a throwaway. So I can do the replacement thing. Gotcha. So um, you're repairing, you're repairing the bigger ones with pro electric motor and you're just replacing the smaller ones with MC supply company. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Gotcha. And uh, do you have a website? Where, where can people find you guys if they needed to reach so, out to you? Yeah. Pro electric motor is um, just simple pro electric motor.com. Um, and then MC supply is MC supply co co.com both okay. on the website we have websites um you know if you've used this before in the past leave us a google review we appreciate those too yeah um but and um, where, where yeah. can people connect with you neil if if they wanted to uh to reach out to neil if if like you said you wanted to be able to share any if there's somebody else who's going through a similar struggle or whatever and they just wanted to maybe have a conversation or connect with you on social media or something what's the best way to, for them to so, find you so i'm on all social media so it's neil campbell um on facebook instagram uh and twitter so all three of those i'm also on linkedin um and if, if somebody wants to reach out they can call me on my cell phone directly it's 864-609-7466 there's no wrong time to call if you're struggling with something you know about that i've been through that i may be able to help you with call I'll answer the phone in the middle of the night. I'll probably think you're a customer to start with, but we'll quickly shift gears and um, I'll sit up all night and talk to you. Right. That's people have done it with me before. So the only way to really, one of the things I have learned is the only way to keep what I have is by giving it away. Right. Wow. Yeah. So, well, it's very kind of you to offer that Neil. And I'm sure that uh, hopefully your phone doesn't blow up, but I'm do hoping that if people need to reach out to you, that at the same time that, that they feel like they can reach out to you. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Neil, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, man. Yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate you having me. Yep. Thanks for listening to the Success in South Carolina podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and share it with a friend who needs to hear it. And as always, this is a friendly reminder that the left lane is for passing. So speed up or move over. Are you still listening? Check out the next episode.